hey, there's a, f- there's a few things that um, I wanted to say before I got into my sermon, but my sermon's going to be from Matthew 13 if you want to turn there in your Bible. Um, at lunch today, we're going to have opportunity either by writing in on cards or speaking to just uh, express our appreciation to Byron uh, for his six years in youth ministry. And uh, he served with character and consistency and care over our students and their families. And um, I, wanted to, I wanted to give my remarks now <laughs> so you don't have to listen to me at lunch again. Uh, And actually, I wanted to talk about maybe some other things because I think there will be people that will speak about Byron's impact as youth minister, but um, I think the last several years, uh, Byron's ministry has been beyond that. Um, And Byron, you've gone above and beyond Uh, what your job description has said and you've served the church well and we are appreciative of that Um, really whatever the church needed to be done uh, Byron has uh, filled in those gaps for us whether it was leading worship or preaching for me or teaching a life group presently Um, and really whatever needed to be done Byron has stepped in with a a great attitude to do whatever needed to be done. And even beyond that has taken the initiative to do what needed to be done uh, to position us as a church for the future. Um, And I've said in the midst of the last year or so that um, we need to raise up younger leaders and we need to strategize through their eyes. And Byron, in the last year or so, has has served as those eyes and that person on staff who has executed many of those things. He's helped us with technology that has helped us to stay connected to one another. Um, The live stream in the midst of uh, COVID, Uh, I've said this to a number of you that if Byron were not here, uh, I don't really know. We would have figured out something, but I don't know what we would have done. Uh, He's helped us update our website and helped us to be a stronger presence on social media, developed our online giving. All of these things were critical for us as a church in the midst of COVID and helped us to maintain momentum in the midst of very uh, odd times. Um, Byron, you've also served our lay leaders in their ministries and to help to equip them to do what God's called them to do, whether that's our technical guys that serve on Sunday morning, our finance team, the security team, the deacons, the staff search committee. Um, Sometimes if you're not here for what goes on behind the scenes at the church, you don't realize this, but Byron has been so critical in all of that and really it's 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 things that are not technically on his job description but he's taking the initiative uh, to do what needed to be done in that time Uh, last summer he led in the remodel of the community outreach center 
and uh, that's a phenomenal addition to our church facilities. Uh, Byron, you've done it all with a servant's attitude, and that's coming from a guy that works with you day by day. <clears throat> it's quite honestly probably his attitude's been better than mine. I don't know that Byron would say this about me up here. Uh, he never, never by his facial expressions that I can tell, <laughs> uh, rolls his eyes at me when I say, listen, we, we, we need to do something about this. Uh, generally, he already knew that we needed to do something about it, and he's already started on it. Um, but always with, with a servant's heart. And so, Byron, we thank you for serving the church well in so many ways. And I know there'll be others that will speak about your six years of youth ministry. I wanted to say one other thing, and I will get to Matthew chapter 13. Um, and you can trust because we can smell lunch almost from here that the sermon will be to the point this morning. Amen? Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to speak about um, kind of job responsibilities and where we are on staff. And uh, this is something that just... It's timely today because of kind of where we mark Byron's kind of his moving from uh, youth minister to associate pastor. But, uh, and this, these are things that we've talked about, but if you're not necessarily maybe on some of those committees or working with some of these things that you don't necessarily know, but the staff search committee, which was made up of Tommy Jan Lowry, um, Bruce Reynolds, Glenn Frank, Shane Tatum, Gary Litton uh, did a number of things, but they developed an organizational structure for us as a church to position us for the future. And, of course, part of that is uh, Will Stacy coming on uh, in the next few weeks to take on the responsibility of the ministry from those that are high school seniors down, what we call next generation pastor. Predominantly we'll be uh, doing youth ministry, but we'll also be overseeing uh, the other ministries to those even younger than that. As associate pastor, as a part of this organizational structure, Byron will give oversight primarily to spiritual formation which will include life groups, D groups, uh, also other trainings on marriage, parenting, stewardship, uh, spiritual formation. He will also help with administrative duties of giving uh, more daily, day-to-day uh, -day oversight to finances, employees, facilities, technology, those kinds of things. And quite honestly, he will also be preaching more for me. Um, as far as me, I will be continuing to, to be the predominant preacher. I will be preaching uh, uh, most Sundays. And as the senior pastor will give uh, overall vision to the church as we look to the future and also give oversight to pastoral care and evangelism and missions. Uh, I know that's a lot of information, uh, but we want you to know that there is a plan. And 
and things have changed. But we believe uh, in the end that it positions us uh, for the future. And so today, uh, we, we express our appreciation to Byron as he moves from completing his six years of youth ministry. And he'll still, he and Will are going to have to walk side by side for a couple months as Will gets his feet on the ground. But we'll um, be transitioning into uh, that associate pastor role. And so uh, I'm excited about what God has for us. We're excited about Will and Lauren being here and baby Charlotte, of course. Um, and um, as God moves us forward, um, I, I, I've said this and I want to say this, and I believe this in the depths of my heart, that the greatest days are ahead for Huntington First Baptist Church. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. As we talk about the future as a church, there is one thing that is do or die. And I mean that literally. There's one thing. And uh, Jesus may have said to his disciples that one thing is planting the seeds of the gospel. Uh, for us, if we take the verbiage from our directional statement, that one thing that is do or die for us as a church is that we relationally connect the gospel to those in our circles of influence. People, it's do or die. It's not about programs, it's not about staff, it's not about buildings. The one thing that is do or die, I would say not only for our church but every church, is that we relationally connect the gospel to those that are in our circles of influence and beyond. It was the one thing that Jesus gave his disciples to do. There is no command for them to build buildings, develop programs. He said, I've, I've entrusted you with the gospel. Now take this and spread it into all the world. The one thing that Jesus gave the disciples to do was to sow the seeds of the gospel wherever God led them. Jesus taught them about that through his agricultural parables and we've settled in most of those are contained in Matthew chapter 13 Jesus taught them about spreading the gospel by his agricultural parables and when the Gospel writers compiled his teaching, then they're kind of all clustered together. This is what Jesus was teaching his followers. This, because that was the one thing that when he left, that's the one thing you have to do. And so these parables are so significant. It is his teaching on evangelism and missions 
That's what's in the agricultural parables. In the parable of the secretly growing seed, Jesus was teaching his disciples that the power of reproduction is only in the word of the gospel. That's the only way you bring about new life. In the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus was teaching them that it is not the amount of your words because God takes simple words and he makes significant impact. So don't refrain from speaking because you don't know everything. Say what you do know. If your testimony, your knowledge is a mustard seed, plant your mustard seed in the soils where God would lead you. This morning in the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, Jesus continues to teach his disciples about spreading the gospel, about evangelism, relationally connecting the gospel to those around us. In Matthew 13, verse 24, it says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, and this is the turning point in the story, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, when Matthew writes this account, Jesus then teaches the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. Verse 36, Jesus explains the parable. You're thinking, well, now the preacher doesn't have to preach on this. Jesus told us what it meant. I'll have a few more words just at the end of Jesus' explanation. It's only two times in the scriptures that Jesus explains a parable. So notice what it says in verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, make a mental note of that, and went into the house. There's a house in Capernaum. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of of the tares of the field. Hmm. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers 
are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want to read the parable again because I realize I maybe you've never heard this. I want to read the parable again and then I want to just talk about a few ideas. Jesus said, this is verse 24, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow up together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. Um, in these sermons, we've talked about the seed, the sower, I'm sorry, the seed, the soil, and the sower. You see those in the first verse of verse 24 when he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed, that's the sower, good seed, that's the seed, in his field, that's the soil. So we see the seed, the soil, and the sower. In these first sermons, we focused upon the seed. Now, the twist in the story is that Jesus doesn't just say he sowed seed. He says he sowed, verse 24, good seed. It's the seed that he wanted to sow. That was going to produce the crop that he, he wanted. But the first twist in the story is in verse 25. It says, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Oh, now we're starting to see something new that Jesus is teaching. In the midst of sowing the good seed, Jesus said, you have to understand there is a competitor. <laughs> it's not just that it's too uh, idealistic to say, I'm just out there sowing good seed and... You know, the soil may be good, it may be bad, but it, there's just good seed, right? Wrong. There is a competitor that Jesus describes later when he's in the house with just his disciples as Satan. Satan works at night. It's when men sleep. Satan does everything to oppose whatever God stands for and what God is wanting to do. Now, this seems bizarre that a man would come at night and sow 
the seeds to weeds in someone's wheat field. Uh, when I was doing my research on this, one of my commentators said, actually, there was a Roman law that forbids someone from sowing the seeds of weeds in someone's wheat field. And I'm thinking, wow, if there's actually a law about that, I don't know if there's a law about that in America or not, but it must have been because it had happened. Why would it happen? Because you have a man, maybe an adjacent landowner who is a competitor, who's wanting to sabotage your harvest. How does he do that? He casts the seeds of the weeds, which is just like sick and demented, isn't it? That you would spend that kind of time. But so it is in the spiritual realm with Satan. To me, this is a reality check by Jesus that says, in the midst of your sowing good seed, there is a force that is working against you. Reality check, church. It's not just that simple that you're sowing the good seed. There's somebody else in the midst of that who is sowing bad seed. In fact, I would call it counterfeit seed. Um, it's the contrast to the good seed. Um, when I looked at this word for tares, T-A-R-E-S, uh, I would kind of translate it weeds. This would be the parable of the wheat and the weeds. But it's the wheat and the tares. And what I realized is the word that is used there is not just a generalized word for any kind of weed. No, this is a specific kind of grass. And the interesting thing about this specific kind of grass that Jesus was alluding to is that when it sprouts up, you're not, you're not going to believe this, it looks just like wheat, a wheat plant. No, it, and we've seen that before. Oh, I don't know if you've seen that before. I guess I've seen that. It's like you're looking at something and you go, is, is, what, what plant is that? This is a plant, specific kind. In fact, it's, it's a kind of grass. In fact, the, in layman's term, it would be called false wheat. But it resembles the wheat plant you only know the difference as it matures and the wheat plant produces wheat. And when it, when it grows up, then it becomes evident what is the weed and what is the wheat. Do you know what this particular kind of grass is good for? Hmm. Nothing. Nothing. It's good for nothing. Except, as Jesus describes, to be burned. In the midst of planting good seed in our own life and in the lives of those around us, reality check, the enemy is also planting his counterfeit seeds which many times look a lot like God's truth, but it's just a little bit different. In fact, it's the lies that Satan brings. 
Which kind of brings me to my, my third idea I wanted to talk about from this parable. Is that the competitor's counterfeit seed complicates things. Oh, I know for most of you this is not, this is not news. But life is messy. You can say amen if you want to. Life is messy. It's not simple. It's overly simplistic to say that God's entrusted us with the gospel and all we have to do is go and spread the seeds of the gospel and it's going to produce a crop. That is so idealistic. To me, the parable of the wheat and the tares is Jesus' reality check that says it's just not that simple because it becomes complicated because we live in a fallen world where there are weeds, where Satan lies, where he's at night planting seeds of the gospel, maybe in the very, the seeds of deceit, in the very hearts of those that were planting the seeds of the gospel. We know this in the natural world. You cannot leave your garden, your flower bed, to nature to develop. Bob, I'm watching you, okay? Yeah. My neighbor, all of my neighbors make my yard look bad, but some of them are here this morning, you know, and yeah, they just, uh, yeah, Bob's got great rose garden rose beds and all and he, he works it I guess is the reason but uh, obviously I don't uh, but if at Daryl Smith's house if you just leave it to do what it's going to do it's not going to look like Bob's I'm going to tell you I don't know where that stuff comes from the very things I don't want to grow are the things that are thriving in my flower beds in my yard among my rose bushes if I had a garden you know this you don't have to do anything to grow weeds. The weeds are going to find the places where you're trying to grow your wheat or your rose bushes or whatever it is. Right? No, just leave it to itself. The weeds are going to take over. This is the world in which we live. It's complicated. It takes effort to overcome that. This is what I want to end with. How do we respond? To me, there's a couple turns in the story, but one of the turns in the story is when they discover that the weeds are coming up with the wheat. The servant said, did you sow good seed? He said, yes, I sowed good seed. The enemy has done this. He says, do you want us to go gather up the weeds? And you're kind of, in human terms, you go, yeah, right? That would make sense. He comes back and says, no. Wait until the time of the harvest. And the reapers will sort it all out. Now, Brother Barry, you can press parables too far. I think I've been in settings where you did it. But anyhow, <clears throat> I'm sure I've done it. We could, we could look at this parable and we could press in this agricultural metaphor and we could, we could begin to talk about, well, we should have put electric fences around that. We should have had men stationed at night to make sure the enemy doesn't get in. You know, 
insecticide. I don't know what we should have done. We could, we could press this analogy far, but this morning, what was the big idea that Jesus was teaching his disciples about evangelism and sowing the seeds of the gospel? I believe one of the critical things that Jesus was teaching was that ultimately judgment is God's business and God will sort it all out in the end. Hear me out. Judgment is ultimately God's business and God will be the one who will sort it all out in the end. Now it's interesting to me in the, in the story that Jesus dismisses the multitudes. He comes into the house. <laughs> there is a house in Capernaum. Yes, I can see it. And Jesus sits down. When it says his disciples, we have to assume it's the twelve. And even though Jesus has taught several parables, it's like, hey, 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 hey. What, what were you talking about in the parable of the wheat and the tares? And part of it, I believe Jesus was teaching, it's just, it's just a reality check. Boys, as you go out and sow the seed, you just got to understand there's a competitor who is sowing counterfeit seed and it's going to complicate life. You have to understand just reality that there is an enemy that opposes what we are doing. But here's it, here it is. What do we do then? And I believe what Jesus is teaching. Hear this, church is that you can spend all of your time weeding out the evil and never get to planning the good. Hear me. You can spend all of your time confronting evil in our world. Oh, I'm not dismissing that at all. Our world is messed up up it is becoming more messed up hear me church if you spend all of your time confronting evil in our society it will be a full-time job and it may keep you from planting the good seed I believe what Jesus was teaching, and this is my point, is that we must concentrate on sowing the good seed. And trust that ultimately God will judge and God will sort it out at the end. Now, I get this in the parable because Jesus says the master of the house, which is him, will send out reapers who he describes as angels who are who's going to sort it all out at the end. Well, the only job left, and I know you can press the analogy and all, I know, I understand, you can argue with me about what Jesus meant by this. I'm just trying to stay with the big idea. 
is the one job that's left for the servants. What the master asked you to do was plant the good seed. And he'll ultimately judge the rest and he'll sort it out at the end. We are servants. One thing. Concentrate on sowing the good seed. We as a church cannot play defense all the time. I believe Jesus teaches we have to go on offense. I want to challenge you that our one job that Jesus let that gave that Jesus gave the disciples and that Jesus gave us was to plant the seeds of the gospel as it has been planted in our lives and in our hearts. Amen. I want to challenge you as a church that instead of playing defense, let's use our offense and do the one thing that transforms people's lives and that is plant the seeds of the gospel. Relationally connect the gospel to those in our circles of influence. It's the one thing that Jesus gave us to do. Amen. Hey, if you'll stand, I'm going to pray. Look at that. It is 12 o'clock noon. It may be 11.59. And you say there is no God. That God can't work. Of course, if I keep talking, it's going to be 12.05. I want to pray. Thank you for being here this morning. We're going to have our time of appreciation for Byron. Invite you all to go across the street. I'm going to pray and have a blessing right now. Is that amazing? That means if you're like, Arlen, if you slip out that door, you can be first in line over there, okay? Now, don't be moving. Don't be moving during the prayer. I'm, every head out, by, yeah, every eye closed. I'm only, only my eyes are open this morning. No, don't be moving. We're going to pray, and we're going to go across the street, and um, it's, it's all ready. You just have to walk in line and get your plate. Um, Father, today we thank you for uh, the message, the seed, the word of life that you've given us. We thank you for that life and we pray that we would do the one thing uh, that you've given us to do. That this week we would take that, those seeds of the gospel and we would plant it in other people's lives. And we pray that we would be faithful in that. We love you. We thank you for our time to celebrate Byron today. Pray that you'd bless this, the food that we're about to receive and our time together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.